0: Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder.
1: Hey there, we the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We're on our tailgate with a red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scousbell. Yeah, guys. Um, chaos. Chaos, chaos is chaos is the ladder. Absolutely. Um that kind of will will fold into what we're going to be talking about a little bit later, but I, I think just to jump off, great response out of the bye week. Uh beating up on a Rutgers team that we were just like we said going in, we're a better team than them. A lot of people were wondering, are you guys high or what are you smoking? Cause I want some, um, but we are, we're a better team than them and we showed that on the field. And honestly, I thought that the score could have been much more than 21 to seven. We dominated them that much. Definitely. Our, our offense left
2: some points on the field, um, you know, missed field goal, obviously uh bonkers fake punt that we'll talk about. A um, couple other situations, but yeah, this is you know we we said if Northwestern plays a clean game, if we win penalties and turnovers, um we are better than this Rutgers team and we can win and that um I mean that pretty pretty well sums it up. I think like Northwestern was pretty um clearly the better team in all phases of the game and uh got to see some of our talent really show out in some great ways, saw some improvements from some players. I think, you know, the bye week was, was obviously pivotal in helping, especially the defense kind of get back to, to basics. And um I think, you know, <laughs> we, we open with chaos as a ladder because uh the big 10 West is wide open and Northwestern actually controls their destiny. I don't think any of us are under the impression that we're going to win the big 10 West at this stage. It's just, the point is like, we're back. It's
0: just, and, and and again, we'll get there, but historically, when things go to hell in a handbasket in the Big Ten, Northwestern is one of the teams that steps up, and that's not just not just 2018, not just 2020, like, we've all been there many times. But yeah, this was, to, you know, the Wreckers game, again, it's, it's funny because they're, right, I mean, so many people, you know, Sammy, you and I were talking to, you know, Jay Sharman, before the game and just, you know, just he was one of a group of people that just just kind of beaten down by the season up until this point and just kind Which, of – Which, you know, I, I totally get it. Oh, yeah, we all yeah, – so we're, we're all there. Like that's why – I mean like I'm, I'm feeling this kind of rally coming on right now and, and it's just after having been beaten down as a fan base and, and, you know, and I'm sure the team felt the same way for such a long period of time. But there was that Nadir where, you know, rivals – did their pregame predictions, and one of the people on their prediction was like Rutgers 37, Northwestern 21, confidence level 10. Okay. And that's not like we were like, are you kidding me with that? But like that was that just goes to show like where a lot of people were. Like that, that was just kind of the nadir that's like, oh, here comes Rutgers. And we we're and we we're kind of being like, look, like. Everyone, you know, we played three really good run offenses. Rutgers isn't remotely in that class, and if the guys just step up and everyone's like, well, Rutgers is only isn't in that class because they haven't played Northwestern yet. And it's like, that was all understandable. Like, that's where the Northwestern fan base was. But the bottom line is, I mean, we ought to start defensively. I mean, defensively, Northwestern beat Rutgers like a drum. Like it was, and yes, you can say Rutgers had a bad offense, but there's the offense Rutgers took into this game And then there's what Northwestern did to them in this game. Um, 21-7 doesn't really capture it. Rutgers had one good drive where, to their credit, they put together 97 yards on one drive. That was effectively their offense for the game. When you subtract their offensive penalties, they had 105 net yards other than that one drive. They didn't do anything the whole rest of the game other than one drive. And even on that drive, it was clear... That like a couple of things happened, but it was clear that on a couple key plays, and this is something that made me feel so good because it was something that we'd just been beating a drum on. Northwestern wasn't predictable and Rutgers was guessing. And you could tell that Rutgers was just blindly that pop pass that Rutgers ran to complete a third and 12 on that drive, they just rolled the dice. Like you can watch that play and be like, whatever Rutgers was expecting us to be in when they called this play, it wasn't what we ran because we ran one of those like defensive linemen drops off the line. There are multiple moving pieces, guys who didn't look like they were blitzing or coming in and it just like worked. And I think it was like Bryce was sliding over and they got the pass and that was converted. And ultimately they eventually scored the touchdown on a play that to their credit, like, They caught us flat-footed, and it was enough time for a receiver to run a double move. And, like, that was an issue. But, again, I'm not going to poke holes in the one drive Rutgers scored on because the rest of the game they didn't do anything. Northwestern totally controlled the line of scrimmage. Like, utter domination. Um, Tommy and Sam Dupe, talk about having a day. Whoa, Nelly. Um, And, And, you know, major pirate booty to Bryce Gallagher. I mean, talk about a dude who showed up. Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy who, again, we've talked about his upward trajectory. I'm glad you brought him up. Bryce is a guy who, look, he's he's not a fast dude, okay? Um, he is not the slowest Northwestern linebacker in the group that's playing. He's not a fast guy. Um, but the game is slowing down for him, game by game. And it's so obvious to see when you watch him out on the field and then you can look at the stats and be like we you know we tweeted about it his tackle numbers are going up but his solo tackle numbers are ex, are increasing exponentially week to week and it's not hard to see why you just watch him out there and you see it, you see it's clicking and it's the, those gallagher jeans. you can just see it between the ears the game is slowing down for him out there and he's finding it and it's like so many of those same people in the nadir and and again i'm not like I get it. Like, we all get it. We we know where this season has taken us as fans, okay? But a lot of people who in the Nadir were like, you know, Rutgers is going to flatten Northwestern the way we are right now, trying to make that pivot now to being like, oh, but this was just Rutgers. No, no, no. Rutgers gained at least 100 yards, 100 to 150 yards more against every Big Ten team they played, including Michigan. And that was a tight game. And Northwestern absolutely stoned them. So it's like, you should be looking at this and saying, yeah, is this a panacea? Is this a cure-all? No. But those two weeks, something happened in those two weeks. It's not Rutgers. Northwestern got a lot better. And that's going to be the thing that we're going to need to carry us going forward.
1: And for those of you who had the word nadir as your uh, John Lacombe uh, word of the week, that I believe four shots you need to be taking right now.
0: I'll I'll tell you this. Uh, my hope is that we won't be saying it too much longer going forward. That's my.
2: <laughs> well, I I want I want to get into the details around what what improved with the defense, and I think um, we've talked a lot about the linebackers. Bryce um, Bryce's play I think is indicative of exactly what the bye week afforded Northwestern. Um, but but like stepping back. This was the same defensive scheme, the same formations, the same players, and not much difference in the in the way that they were defending. Yes, I think Northwestern's defense played a little bit less aggressive and focused more on keeping everything in front of them, making sure they shut down big plays, etc., but that doesn't mean that you didn't see plenty of stunting on the defensive line. There were uh, at least two plays where uh, Tommy stunted to the inside and came up with sacks or huge pressures. Um, you saw Brandon Joseph on the line of scrimmage or close to the line of scrimmage in many, many plays. This was, this was, by and large, the same defensive scheme and plan and play calling that we've seen from Northwestern all year. I think that the, the two major differences to me, like one, is that our secondary has dramatically improved uh, their confidence and their contain. I think the defensive line came to play in a much more physical fashion this this past weekend and, and to me that's the the biggest difference I saw from Northwestern frankly on both sides of the ball was the physicality and the urgency I've been talking about it all season it's just not been there and they came out and just punched Rutgers in the mouth over and over and over again but then for all of these young players like look Patty Fisher was not a fast linebacker and I don't think Blake Gallagher was the fastest linebacker like Bergen to my eye was the faster of those three last season but much like Patty and and Blake, as Bryce is getting more confident, better at reading, understanding where the ball is going, what the players are going to try to do, and where the blocks are going to come from, he's getting better at navigating that and getting to the ball carrier. The first play of the second half was a perfect example. He made the right read. He got outside on a play that was designed to create mixed misdirection to the opposite side of the field. And then he made a really strong one-on-one tackle. And that's the other big thing that you saw from Northwestern good, strong, hard tackling. And that's been something that's been missing from week one. I think, you know, there's a lot of reason to feel like the fundamentals now have, um, have kind of been reestablished within this defense. And like, I'm not suggesting they're going to have this great of a day uh, in the, in the weeks to come, but we can feel a lot better about the clean, fundamentally sound football that we've come to expect from Northwestern on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Absolutely. And again, I think, it's important to, to know, to, you know, to talk about, too, about the fact that, like, again, you know, we'll talk when we get to Michigan about, like, Rutgers and and the Rutgers-Michigan game and et cetera, and you look at, for example, Rutgers-Syracuse and, you know, some of the games Rutgers has played since then, right? Like, they've been on the lops- the wrong side of lopsided games against Ohio State and Michigan State, okay? Through all of those games, though, no one accuses Rutgers of not being pretty stout in the interior. If you watch the Michigan game, like again, you know not to put the like not. We'll get to it more later, but like Rutgers is not a weak team on the offensive and defensive lines, given what like what you see on tape thus far in the Big Ten season. Unlike um,
2: say an Ohio,
0: right? Or a they're Duke. right, exactly. Like they're slow. And that's an issue. And their defense is just over. Like, we'll get to Stephon Robinson and what he did to that secondary. But the the trenches is not where Rutgers' problem was. And Northwestern's defensive line manhandled their offensive line. And this is an offensive line for Rutgers that, like, has had a little bit more success against some of the other teams they've played just by grinding yards. And they were just not able to do any of that. Like, their goal of okay, we're going to come out and we're going to somehow grind yards in this game. They had, they averaged 1.9 yards a carry. Like there was no grinding yards. Like that was just, they were just done.
2: Well, their MO has been grind up the middle and get, you know, like very traditional big 10, three yards in a cloud of dust, four yards in a cloud of dust, and then go to the outside, whether it's Bo Melton or Pacheco on those um, swing passes or wide receiver screens and, Northwestern's defense did a phenomenal job being disciplined and tackling well on the outside. Again, something we've seen in the past from this team that has been a struggle the first 5 weeks of the season. So, um just kind of kind of excellence across the board there. I want to flip to the offense quickly and I want to use the Absolutely, fi- yeah. the physicality piece to do it because as physical as the defense was, um the the offense, particularly the skill players. I mean, I think I saw big broken tackles from just about every every skill player on Northwest Northwestern's offense most obviously and impressively was Malik Washington's trucking oh, yeah. of the safety to unlock the second half of his sixty four yard touchdown catch. Um and I like when was the last time we saw Northwestern offensive players hitting the defense this hard?
0: Yeah. It was, it, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um and, and the and just the speed that was on display too, I mean as long as we're talking about the receiver core, right? Um Stephara, J. J Jefferson. No, you're right. We should start with Triple J. Because if there's anyone who deserved to have the kind of day that he had, this poor guy battled injuries. So good to see him out there. Exactly. Battled injuries for so long and all of last season. And then, you know, we're hearing, oh, is he on the depth chart? We're trying to read into that. And then suddenly it's like, oh, we're not seeing him on the week one depth chart. And it's like, oh, my gosh, is he going to miss all of this year too? And then suddenly it's like, oh, my God, that's J.J. Jefferson's music. I think it was like suddenly – you know Sammy you and I were sitting there being like is that number 3 out there yeah, and then who, being like oh my three, god it is three? and then suddenly yeah. he breaks a 32 yarder and you know made three you know made three important catches was clearly a big and valuable part of the depth chart is a player who as a as a second stringer right as a guy coming off the bench is a like for like replacement for either Malik or Stefan Robinson and it was it was yeah so just heartwarming to see him out there and making the kind of plays yeah
2: well in addition to that like an experienced wide receiver one of our most experienced wide receivers that was one of the big things talked about at the beginning of the season was oh Northwestern has nobody coming back on offense and I was like nah well like in addition to the to the Stephon Robinson transfer uh, you can look at Malik Washington and J.J. Jefferson and Berkeley Holman all these guys have played and played like meaningful minutes J.J. Jefferson had like critical touchdown catches in in 2018 and 2019 um multiple uh big like big plays like that like this guy adds a down through downfield threat um similar to to robinson and like that's that's partially what's so exciting about finally seeing him on saturday is he's someone that i thought could and should be a big part of this offense and unfortunately the other side of things is like reading between the lines there's nothing official yet but it, it it appears that perhaps um uh, Bryce Kurtz is going to be out for the rest of the year, a good portion of the rest of the year.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, he he did post on his Instagram. You know, basically he's hurt, and we don't know what that means. There's been no official word from the program, nor will there be. I mean, let's be let's be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, still, he's still Starting wide, the starting
0: chart. wide receiver Bryce Kurtz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: I mean that might change well as the week goes on, but regardless, like having having a guy like JJ be able to 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 step up and get back on the field is is phenomenal from a couple from a couple different angles. And then yeah, you saw I mean Robinson was in like a, a <laughs> boxing mean... match all day basically. Um, you saw Andrew Claire running through through tackles effectively at just like a, a Evan Hall with I think with a big broken tackle a couple times. Um, just phenomenal to see
0: let's go back to Robinson Robinson's line says that he had five catches for 115 yards with a long of 47 to say that doesn't capture his performance on the day he abused the Rutgers secondary and we were all there and we all saw the two blatant pass interference calls that were not he was horse-collared on a pass play And it was not called, if you were not in, if you were not at this game personally, trust me, the stadium went bananas. It was like, it was unbelievable. There were two that were really bad. One was atrocious, but he just had his way. I mean, it was, they just couldn't cover him. I believe
2: Sam's quote last week was, uh, "I have visions of Stephon Robinson being open over the top," that, that's and he right. was.
1: That's
0: exactly what it is, and it's like again, we'll, we'll see what my crystal ball has for us against Michigan. That, but uh. there you go, and it's like there. Well, again, like Michigan, Illinois, Purdue do not have guys that can cover him. Like that's just the way that it is. And Purdue, who has a very good defense in a lot of other areas. Mm-hmm stefan robinson's obviously going to be an all big 10 receiver like if we just jump ahead to the end of the year he's going to be first team second team or third team like obviously he's an awesome football player and it's a huge weapon to have um you mentioned claire i want to mention evan hall too hall's average per carry is really horrible i would just like to to point out and also in the interest of pointing out that 21 7 doesn't exactly capture this game either that Fitz decided to spend the back half of the fourth quarter throwing Evan Hall into the line <laughs> and basically just being like, I will end this game now if you allow me to end this game now. And Northwestern could have scored 28 points in this game simply by walking into the end zone at the end of the game. Fitz had no interest in doing that. Um, and, you know, and again, it's like, did Hall break a lot of plays? No, but he did have some really nifty runs. And the offensive line did demonstrate a clear ability to move the ball. You know, the back's getting three yards, four yards, five yards at a clip. That kind of thing against a team like Michigan, and again, we'll get there, slows the game down in an effective way. Um, and that's really important. Two other things that we should talk about. The first really big one. And, I mean, this is huge. We spent the entire first half of this season... Talking about drives that were getting short circuited because of offensive linemen penalties and breakdowns in interior pass pro. This offensive line, the Trench Cats committed one penalty in this game a total BS, uh, just total BS, ridiculous screw job on Peter Skoronsky. Um on a play where he got out, had his man, and then basically the Rutgers defender turned away from the play as Pete was blocking him, and he got called for a block in the back. That was the only penalty. And I hasten to add this, but shh. Interior Pass Pro has now not been a problem for five weeks. It wasn't a problem against Ohio, it wasn't a problem against Nebraska despite the fact that it was a walking mash unit in the interior of the offensive line that game, and they did not give up a sack against Rutgers. And it's like, again, it's important that you note that. This was a massive problem area for the Northwestern offensive line to start the season, and it's been five weeks since a guy got up the middle on this defense and wreaked havoc. That's going to be a huge deal. And then the one other thing that I want to mention, because I feel like secretly this is going to be a huge deal. We've been talking about, and it popped up in this game like once, maybe twice, Northwestern's the most snake-bit screen team has to be in the FBS. We just can't get the mechanics of a screenplay to run, to work correctly, to save our lives. And that, of course, is an issue because you see that anytime teams can't have success with a four-man rush on us, they've just been loading up the line and being like, here comes seven guys. And Northwestern has had multiple times that we all can remember specific incidences of where we're like, oh my God, here comes seven guys. I hope we have something in the bag for this. And it ends up either being a screen that doesn't work or just a non-functioning play where our quarterback just gets lit up by pressure. Um, And, There were two things that I saw in this game that really made a difference to me. The big one was that play where Skoronsky was called for the block. That was a sick play. What it was was a screen with very few moving parts. All it was was Evan Hall flared out to the side and Skoronsky went with him. It was just a simple two man screen. The wide receiver has responsibility for blocking one guy out there Skoronsky 's going to pick up someone else, and evan Hull 's going to just do all, as much work as he can and it worked perfectly. Rutgers brought pressure, we worked right around it it 's an easy play to run you 're just throwing the ball into the flat you don 't have to throw it over a defensive lineman 's head, etc and it was fifteen yards and it I mean it should have stood. It was screwed over by that horrible call on Skoronsky. I see that play being a real asset going forward because Northwestern has been trying, you know, Coach Jake has been trying to solve this. What do we do when teams just say, screw it, and they bring a ton of heat? That play could be really big, particularly the left, because you know Skoransky's going to get out there and do a bunch of damage. And then the other one was, I mean, it was a soft call. And I think a lot of Northwestern fans were talking and being like, look, we should have had those two calls called on Stefan that weren't, but there was that really soft call on that fade route on the drive that Northwestern ultimately scored the touchdown. And it was a soft call, but that slot corner didn't know anything about that play. Malik got over his head immediately. The corner was flying blind and he hit Stephon Robinson. And yeah, he barely tapped him, but... If you catch the right official, there are a lot of officials who are going to be like, if you don't locate the ball and you touch that dude, that's a flag. These kinds of things are the plays you can run when other teams are throwing heat at you. Um, And again, Michigan is one of several teams on our remaining schedule that's going to try to do that. And it's like, I'm noticing these and I'm being like, okay, Jake's finding things that work. He's finding things that are escape valves when the heat is coming so that we don't find ourselves in a situation where we're being like, what are we doing on this play? Cause our guy's about to get lit up. So again, take note of these things because it's like lots of little improvements adding up to big improvement here.
2: There are a couple other uh, uh, Jake things that went really well on Saturday and a couple that, that <laughs> didn't. that. Um, <Fair. laughs> and I think John, you, you texted this, which, and then I tweeted it, but you know, creative Jake is, is pretty awesome and pretty exciting. Um, very very creative jake is um problematic off, right now
0: uh, often a problem yeah uh, but i want to call out
2: like a couple a couple plays so one was um the i believe it was the second touchdown yeah the second touchdown that northwestern scored was a was a little uh, swing pass to marshall lang coming out of the backfield but what that was was lining up a tight end in the backfield and then throwing to him in the flat off of play action he was wide open for an easy touchdown right it's just like a phenomenal play to have in your arsenal inside the five yard line. You can riff off of that in a number of different ways. Uh you saw a jet sweep to to Stefan Robinson late in the game. He picked up nine yards on it. That was a really nice uh a really nice, you know, counterweight to a lot of the other running that Northwestern have been doing. And you just like add in the screen, add in uh the way they leverage JJ Jefferson underneath, like just some nice stuff that you're starting to see that's a little bit different. And um, you know, it's not just like a direct snap to the running back. It's not, it's not the, um, it's not the typical, you know, things that we've, that we're, we're seeing on a regular basis. Like they're, they're mixing in some creativity. They're missing, mixing in some nice things. You're seeing lots of multiple tight end sets, three tight ends, two tight ends. Uh, this is the sort of stuff that Bajakian loves that we expected him to bring to, to bear. I think what Northwestern probably needs to do a little less of, uh, or maybe just practice it better. You had a flea flicker go wrong. Cause the, like the pitch wasn't great. Um, And even if the pitch gets to Holinsky, there's a lot of guys from Rutgers right there in his face. And then that punt was that fake punt call was a was a train wreck.
1: Was was that was that Jake or was
0: that Jenek?
2: Whoever it whoever it was, um, it was like they. I blame them all.
0: Yeah, it was that play that I I refuse to believe that that wasn't just a punt that was muffed that he then just had to run into the line just because you're you're counting and you're being like, all right, the guy hit him. Let's say he makes that guy miss. All right. Let's say he makes the second guy miss. And you're just looking and being like, it just looks like five guys have a clear release on Adams here. Like I whatever this play was supposed to be,
2: but weren't weren't no muff. Yeah. Yeah. No Um, ball hit ball hit him in the hands. He delays but for a second, like he's going to punt and then he runs straight into the teeth.
0: Right. And it's, but it's funny because it's like for weeks we've been talking, being like, look, this offense shoots itself in the foot. And, and that's been the problem. Right. And it's like, and so much of that was penalties, right? Penalties, turnovers, weren't no penalties in this game. Weren't no turnovers in this game. And I think you can look and be like, you can hang some of the mistakes that did pop up on coach Jake that flea flicker may you know most likely took points off the board um and that's that's a big deal because again let's say you know we don't run that play and that play was a total mess and let's say we just execute the otherwise very you know very solid offense that he executed in this game let's say we score a touchdown that's 28 you add in the touchdown we just chose to just give away at the end of the game 35-7 like How many more points do you want? Like, I mean, I think there's not too many Northwestern fans that wouldn't be ecstatic with that result. Three more from the missed field goal at the beginning of the game. And that's, and so we kind of have to mention that too, right? I mean, kicking is is, you know, it's just, we're making half of our field goals right now. And they were that, I mean, I watched the replay of that missed kick, and that was a missed kick against the wind. So, I mean, that was just shanked. And... Kicking has been rough for us this season. And that's another thing that's kind of got to come together. But it's like you're at this point, we're looking at things that are, that are, you know, we're seeing being fixed and things that still need to be fixed. But I think, you know, to to your point earlier, like we were really hoping that this team was going to be showing signs of progress coming out of the first two weeks. And I I really feel like uh, coming out of those two weeks and we really feel like we saw it. Can I go back to that fake punt
1: for a second? What what baffles me is is why are you calling it right there? You're you're on the plus side of the field. If you want to go for it, I'm fine with going for it there. Like I have no problem with that. But go for it. Like well, leave your leave your offense on the field.
2: Well, and the problem with that is it was so telegraphed. Like like yeah,
1: everyone completely. knew it was
2: coming. Right. So that I mean that and that
0: yeah, they were in like a prevent. I mean they were in a soft safe field. Like yeah.
2: Look, I mean like I was joking with. Uh, um, with a couple of people uh, over the last couple of days on Twitter, like trick, trick plays haven't gone well for Northwestern. Like, like, right. I mean, there was a wide receiver pass against Wisconsin last year and there was the fat guy needs a six pack in the bowl game against Utah at the end of 2018. Not much else has worked folks. Like, Hey, Hey, and, like, and Feds, a bunch of, we, like, and a bunch
0: of things have really not worked. Yeah. Can we, <laughs> yeah.
2: can we just put that part of the playbook down for a little while? Like, I don't know that we need it right now.
0: Yeah. But again, it's like, I think mainly I bring that up. I bring the flea, we bring the flea flicker up because it's like, things were working in this game. And again, there were some of those little things where you could see Jake finding things, finding things that worked within the framework of this offense um, and just seeing things work. And it's, it's hilarious. We haven't really mentioned him yet. Ryan Holinsky looked, I mean, again, this guy's played very few Northwestern football games. Yes, he played a lot of games at South Carolina, but he sure seemed comfortable in there. You give this guy a clean pocket, he's going to do his part. Um, and, you know, I think I saw at least one, we talked about this earlier, but um, Ryan Holinsky a guy who will get the ball to where it needs to be, even if he has to change the motion of his arm to throw the ball. I mean, that's that's what I talked, we had that debate about what is a gunslinger, but he's one of those guys who he'll play a little backyard football um, to get the ball to where it needs to be. And that's pretty cool. Um, the, the, The one other thing, and I know we're talking offense right now, I briefly wanted to mention only because obviously Jim O'Neill's been a name who's been on everyone's mind um, for the first seven weeks. And, you know, I I would say that it it must be said that he, you know, credit where credit is due. Like his defense played a great game in this game. I think it's funny. We talked about Bryce Gallagher's performance on Twitter. And our buddy NU Football Recruiting chimed in and he's like, yeah, you know, you can call that coaching. And it's like, yeah, that's true. You give credit where credit is due. You see a player really developing. You know, he'd been developing, but you see a guy take a real big leap coming out of a two week layoff. And, you know, that's coaching. And the other thing that I would say is again, just seeing more of the wrinkles. Like Scuzz said earlier, you saw a bunch of stunts to great effect. We saw, particularly out of the star package, a lot of variety. A lot of defensive line. Jeffrey Pooler popping off the line. That happened a bunch of times. Um, Pressure coming from different places. Um, You saw Rod Hurd come in a couple of times on blitzes. You saw just like a variety of things. And just the big thing was, and I can't stress this enough, Rutgers on passing downs didn't know what was going on. And that has been one of the things we've been tearing our hair out for the first half of this season, being like, we're so predictable. Well, we weren't predictable in this game. And I think you're going to see a ton of the star package next week, um, and we'll you know we're about to pivot. We'll explain why, but that is you know, and we've talked about the fact that you put Rod Hurd out there, and you know, and I personally bemoaned the fact that like we've been putting Rod Hurd because of the predictability of our defense in a position where the the opposing team views him as a linebacker and just looks for ways to you know to go at him. And you didn't see that against Rutgers. You saw him being employed in a more dynamic way. And again, like, that's the kind of thing where you think, and you think, you know, all things being equal, it's kind of good if we play as much star package as we can safely play because Rod Hurd's only a sophomore. Like, the group of guys you see out there running that package is going to be the group of guys next year running that package for the lar- you know, in a large part. So it's like, that, that package has a future in terms of the personnel that are out there. So I, you know, you'd love to see it succeed. But again, it's like, it's going to have to succeed next week. Cause we're going to have to run a ton of it. But again, well, it's like, it's cre- credit is due to O'Neill for, for, for making those changes.
2: Yeah. And I mean, just like the, the, the team executed much better. They, you know, I, I like it's, it's hard to discern what was truly different. Right. Um, because I think you could look at it two ways. One, you could say, "Oh, yeah, they 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 spent two weeks getting down to fundamentals. The guys got better. A, a guy like Gallagher, the game's slowing down. He's able to make decisions quicker. He's able to get to the ball faster, right?" Like like that. That's real. We saw that happening. At the same time, you cannot deny that Rutgers is a less athletic and less imposing <laughs> team. A less less. Fast team than <laughs> Nebraska than Michigan State
0: than Duke right so then like, then the team we play next week yeah exactly, and, and, right. and so
2: before we pivot to Michigan I think it's worth pointing out we we said this last week and I think a lot of people thought again we were you know pie in the sky in crazy town but like Minnesota Iowa Illinois Purdue and I think I'm forgetting somebody Wisconsin um, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Uh, like none of these teams have a good offense. Now, well, m- m- I, David may- Bell might have something to say about D- that. that. That's Purdue- the
1: only umbrage I'm going to take. But. Yeah, I'll Purdue and it, Minnesota, way, like none maybe, of
0: but none of them run the ball that well. That's n- n- probably like-
2: none of them present the, the kind of threat that a Kenneth Walker or Adrian Martinez um, present, right? And so, like I say that because there's a path for Northwestern to get to bowl eligibility and to build back some some respectability into this season uh, as we go forward, and it's not crazy to say that it's not you know obscenely optimistic is it going to happen it depends it depends if this record game was the was the high water mark if this is the high water mark for northwestern's offense and defense like yeah we're probably not winning you know three to to four more games if this was a building block and there's there's another level that Northwestern can continue to grow to and improve against like there's a lot of opportunity for this team going forward I just I just think it's important to 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 categorize like we're not suggesting that the, that the Cats are going to go win the West now that that Iowa has, you know, lost to Purdue or anything crazy like that, but chaos chaos is a ladder. But chaos right is front. a ladder and the reality is, is is that, you know, Northwestern is is in the mix in
1: with with most of these teams in the West. And and that's what's so interesting about our schedule so far is we've only played one West opponent to this point. And Michigan is this week the back half of our schedule is all west so if we can take care of business and yes this is a lot of ifs there's a lot of ifs here but but your division
2: record doesn't it's your it's your conference record that matters division record doesn't matter
0: right right but but with that said hey i mean i let's let's talk wolverines i want to talk wolverines yeah we,
1: we we do need to uh to pivot to the number six ranked Michigan Wolverines currently a a 23-and-a-half point favorite over your Northwestern Wildcats. So I want to say this. 23? Um, Wow. It opened at 19, right? It opened at 19, went up to 21
0: this morning, is up to 23 now. 23-and-a-half. 23-and-a-half, yeah. I want to say this right off the top, and this is kind of a a big-picture thing. I think a lot of us – all of you listeners, right? Every Northwestern fan. There's been a lot of just thinking throughout this whole season of like, oh, you know, being a Northwestern fan has just been so brutal this year for a lot of you, a lot of, and for us too this at a year. lot of stretches, right? Yeah. And just and and of course cardiac cats and everything else and it is so important, right? I think, and again, I'll, I'll just, for, for all of you with your bingo cards at home, sand's point, in the nadir that is this season, um, at you know the, the low point of the season when everyone is just lower than low and the horrible moments of the games that have come past, reminding, all right, what is the magic of being a Northwestern fan? What is the magic? What is the beauty? The thing you know that you've got that that other guy who cheers for that other team doesn't have, right? That makes enduring the worst of the worst, right? The, the, you know, the times we've had to worthwhile. And I would submit that a big part of it is this. All of you, all of you know what this week feels like going into this Michigan game versus what that week going into that Nebraska game Feels like, and you all know deep in your bones that this feels different. I'm not saying we're gonna win. I'm saying you know it feels different. You saw that line move from 19 and a half to 23 and a half the week before Michigan is at Michigan State, and you're saying make it 30, make it 40, make it 50 points. Jack that line as high as it possibly can because this feels different. Now we're going to go into the X's and O's but it's not an accident that you feel that deep in your bones and you've got that skepticism that is eating at you that's wanting to slap it aside. But you remember the reason you have that feeling is because you've seen Northwestern do it. You've seen Northwestern do it time and time again in this exact situation and that before we get into Michigan is one of the great things about being a Northwestern fan. So I want you to all grab onto that because we're going to climb on our horse here and we're going to try to map out a path for you, right? So I want you to grab onto that Northwestern feeling, that optimism, that belief and let's go.
1: But I, I, I'm just going to couch that just a little bit. I mean, we're not saying Northwestern is going to come out and win this game. That's not what we're saying. Michigan is a very good team. They are. Could they, we? Uh, you know, I will. They, might we lose? Yeah, we absolutely could. We absolutely can lose this game. But the thing is, I don't think it would surprise anyone. Are that you we gonna, lost.
0: Are you are you going to make me go, Herb Brooks? Here, we played them <laughs> ten times. They might win nine. <laughs> no, I,
1: I'm, I'm just saying, like.
2: I'm, I'm gonna, I, I'm just going to put a stick in the ground. I am less optimistic than John about this, but he is I'm not he's I mean again, he, he, I'm not he,
0: optimistic, but I see something here.
2: Yeah, and you're and you're spot on about the fact that this line is bonkers. For those of you betting at home, like
1: A, don't. Well, uh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> call, I mean, call call your
0: yeah. Michigan fans and tell tell your, call your Michigan friends and tell them to bet on Michigan cuz this thing can't move high enough. Again, this is, it's 23 and a half, make it go higher. But this
2: is exactly the scenario that Northwestern usually shows out and and the path that John's alluding to is that this Michigan team when you when you boil them down, you look at their running performance in the Big Ten. you look at how their lines have looked against the one common opponent we have uh, thus far in Rutgers. You think about the fact that they're playing quote unquote little brother. Uh, the week after they play us, which like
1: don't let them pretend that it doesn't matter. It does, um, especially when Michigan State is going into this game undefeated. Yep, uh, and MSU has their number. Yeah, uh, so like there's
2: there's there's a lot of of stuff on the line. Here's the thing I will say from a from the polar op- opposite perspective. I still can't believe that Northwestern never beat effing Brady Hoke when he was the coach of Michigan. We <laughs> yeah. lost to Brady mm, Hoke. Three times. Yep. And that's like borderline unconscionable because of how bad that program was during his years. We have not beaten Michigan since Rich Rod. And that includes the game where we had the lead, but for the last like 35 seconds. And there was a crazy circus catch that, um, I, I was it Braylon Edwards? I don't Braylon think it, Edwards. Yeah. yeah the Braylon Edwards got, um, in 20, that was 2015, there was the moon game where, like Clayton Thorson <laughs> fell down, or that was that was Trevor Simeon. A uh, Trevor Simeon fell down on the two point conversion at the end. Um, there have been other close calls. Like this Michigan team has just had Northwestern's number, and so like I believe everything John is saying, and I'm I'm on board with, with with like the potential is here, the path is here. There's a psychological barrier that this Northwestern team needs to get over to win this game against against Michigan because they've they've not been able to do it for. You know, since
0: the year what two thousand and six? And again, I like again. This is where my brain is right now, but I'm like, that's right. And that '95 team had that psychological yeah. barrier against Michigan to get over. <laughs> and you know what? They effing got over it. They well, beat it twice. I don't know that um, that
2: team. I don't know that Northwestern had gotten very close in the yeah, years preceding 1995. I, yeah. fair, but fair. your point what, is well what, taken. So
1: one thing I want to mention before we get into the X's and O's is that this is the first time that we are going to be playing for a trophy, the George Jewett yeah. trophy. Um, don't, I don't want, to un, you don't want to gloss over this. This is a really, really cool and a really big deal. You're right. Uh, George Jewett, uh, pl- first African-American player in uh, FBS history. I mean, it wasn't FBS back then, but the first African-American player to play for a what is now FBS team. He played for both Northwestern and Michigan as the first African-American player on in both institutions um played for michigan in 1890 and 1892 uh came to northwestern to finish his his medical degree and played in 1893 for the cats so uh it's really really cool that this is a trophy game now and what's even cooler is you know the, the story behind uh the george jewett trophy yeah, I want, to, I
2: want to point out, like, he was he didn't just play for Michigan. He was considered one of their best players in those years. Um, and uh, got a lot of praise from uh, Amos Alonzo Stagg, who, uh, if you know that name, that was um, one of the titans of, of early college football days as the coach at uh, University of Chicago. Um, but he was the starting halfback, the starting fullback. He was considered one of the best players at Michigan in the pre-fielding Yost uh, era. And then um, came to Northwestern. Uh, as a uh, as a medical student and um, earned his his he left Michigan um, I guess he had a run-in with uh, the dean of medicine at the University of Michigan left Michigan came to Northwestern on on transfer uh, continued to play football uh, while getting his, his his medical degree so like this is an impressive dude that, um, was a great football player. I think it is so cool that, uh, this trophy has been added and, um, we get to celebrate this history as part of this, uh, this matchup.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. It's, it is. And it, it's, it speaks to the two universities and it speaks, it just, it's the right kind of thing. It speaks mainly to do it. And it's just like to, to commemorate that is fantastic. It's exactly what a rivalry trophy should be. Um,
2: one quick correction: He was not the first African American player in college football. He was the first in the Big Ten Conference, um, but uh, there were two players that played for uh, Amherst uh, before he did by one year. Right, not Almost.
0: not in the not in what is now the FBS. Truth. Right, and it's like you know, it's one of those things that makes you you hear those dates and you're like, you know. I mean, again, by no means are we saying that either Michigan or Northwestern has a sterling record when it comes to race over that period of time. Correct. (laughs) Like, sad, sad thing few institutions do, and that's the sad reality. But keep in mind, you're talking about Northwestern and Michigan, you know, playing an African-American player on those teams when you have other teams that you're talking, I mean, 60, 70 years before other teams in what's now the FBS you know, we're fielding African-American players on the team. And it's like, so, I mean, that's, it's, it's crazy to think about, but again, yeah, just fantastic thing to, to fantastic trophy. And it's, it's great that we have this now. And um, so, so Michigan, let's get down to business. Yeah. Okay. Let's start here because I, I want to get this out of the way. Not, get, I mean, we got to start with it because it's, it's just where you got to go first. Michigan's wide receivers are terrifying. This is the place you just have to start. Cornelius Johnson, Dalen Baldwin, Roman Wilson, Mike sain I'd sum it up this way. I spent the past two days watching a ton of Michigan tape. sain is arguably kind of like the number four wide receiver, at best number three, and he's terrifying these guys are all so fast and michigan can load up the field with them at at once and again we're going to get to the whole trick-or-treat aspect of michigan but michigan these wide receivers will make plays where you will go how does this team not score 50 points a game Johnson's longest catch is 87. Baldwin's longest catch is 69. Wilson's longest catch is 38. San still's longest catch is 51. And they have multiple of these, each guy. And you watch them, and it's so much of it is like catch and run. These guys will carve zones, um, particularly against Wisconsin. Catches over the top. Catches in the end zone. Um, it's, it's just a sick group. Um, and if anything... One of Michigan's weaknesses is the failure to to get enough out of these guys. But I mean, you just we just got to start here. Like aside from Ohio State, this might be the creme de la creme of a core in the Big Ten.
2: See what's ironic about it though is that coming into the season, far and away Michigan's best receiver was Ronnie Bell, who they lost in the
1: first game for one catch, seventy six yard touchdown out through the season. Yeah,
2: and so like like Cornelius Johnson played a bit last year, but. Beyond that, like none of these guys are proven. Um, they they to John's point have looked pretty good and.
0: I mean, they're just fast. That's they, the main thing.
2: Yeah, Johnson's the only one with with size. Everybody else is, is pretty undersized. Now, obviously, that was you know wasn't much of a problem for Michigan State when they played us. Um, like, but our secondary is definitely going to have their hands full. The weird thing is that Michigan doesn't like to throw exactly, and, and Cade right. McNamara is not that great of a QB.
0: Exactly. And that is the weird thing about this team. You have to start with the wide receivers, but again, you watch film, you'll watch Michigan go like four wide or three wide in a tight end, fake a handoff to the running back, dump a quick slant. It goes for 50 yards and you're like, that looked so easy. And then it happens like once again, the rest of the game. And Michigan's in a tight game with Nebraska or a tight game with Rutgers. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? And, right, A, McNamara, again, like, this guy's kind of got keys to the Ferrari, and a lot of times he doesn't do enough with it. In In the Wisconsin game, and this is funny because scuds talked about this so much coming into the season, in the Wisconsin game, the best pass thrown in that game, by far, was thrown by J.J. McCarthy, who threw one pass in the game, um, and... But they're they're just going with McNamara. But you'll watch these plays and you'll be like, he has to do so little to succeed as a quarterback and yet seems to have trouble doing it. And the other part of it is, to Scuzz's point, is like Jim Harbaugh just doesn't want... this. Like this team should throw 45 times a game. And Harbaugh just doesn't want to do that. And this takes us to the monstrously large misconception. Well, Before, the, yeah, before, yeah, go before we
2: go there, I want us to just say two more things about McNamara. Like he's, yeah. he's not that accurate. Um, all those long passes that John talked about, like they are mostly catching runs. This is not a guy that is going to throw deep effectively. Um, his completion percentage in conference has been under 60%. Uh, however, the thing that he does do is he doesn't throw picks. And I think that's why McNamara is probably starting because he is mostly error for error free. Um, and I think he threw a pick against Rutgers. He's got five touchdowns uh, to just that one interception on the year. And um, he will check it down a lot. Like it, like he only averages something like 6.5 yards per attempt. Uh, or I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's closer to 8.3. I think in the Rutgers game, it was, it was, it was lower regardless. Um, I've lost my stat here, but the fact is like, he's, he's just not that imposing of a quarterback, but I think it's by design because, Harbaugh knows he has a lot of talent elsewhere and he just doesn't, he wants to minimize mistakes. And that's how Michigan has generally been approaching their games.
0: Right. And that's the thing is like, ultimately Harbaugh wants to run first and throw second. And Michi- ironically,
2: cause he was a QB.
0: Right. Which is again, it's like, and that's always been his, his kind of MO. And this gets you to the monstrously large misconception about this Michigan football team which is that they are fantastic running the ball. It is simply not true. Michigan is, what, number six in the nation in rushing and technically first in the Big Ten if you rank Big Ten teams by their total rush yards the entire season. You know why that is? Northwestern played Ohio. You know how many rush yards we had against Ohio? 373 rush yards. We played Ohio once, Michigan played Ohio three times. That is the difference. Michigan played two MAC teams and a horrifically bad Washington team. Washington is two and four right now. Their wins are over Arkansas State and by seven against Cal. And they're two and four. And Michigan destroyed them on the ground. They destroyed their two MAC opponents on the ground. And they had something like 1,200 rush yards coming out of their first three games. That's weighting everything. We tweeted it up online. In their three Big Ten games, Michigan's worse than Rutgers running the ball. And when you think about that, factor in the fact that their, Michigan's two running backs, uh, Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, are, I mean... I don't want to shade Isaiah Pacheco, but they're both a level above Isaiah Pacheco. Um, And Coram is really fast. And yet, Michigan has had a really rough go running the ball in the Big Ten. And keep in mind, one of those teams that they played was Rutgers. And a big part of that is Michigan's offensive line and their defensive line have real issues controlling the line of scrimmage this is a team that has a ton of speed at wide receiver and again Michigan can put three can put a you know a big tight end three blisteringly fast wide receivers I mean we didn't even mention like you go down their depth chart like AJ Henning's on this team and he looks crazy fast when he plays and he's like the fifth or sixth receiver on their depth chart um And then they can put Corum out there who's also crazy fast and they can motion him at wide receiver. And again, it's like Ohio state plays a really similar group of personnel and just throws every single down and Michigan for whatever reason just doesn't want to do that. But Michigan has trouble controlling the line of scrimmage and they've shown that in the big 10 so far. And Rutgers was one of these teams that kind of pushed them around on both sides of the ball. And they had similar problems against Nebraska. And it's, you see this, and it's like they at once will produce plays where you're like, this team's unstoppable. And then they just go into a funk and they'll try to feed the ball into the line because Harbaugh's all about establishing his will on the inside. Sound familiar. Um, <laughs> um, and they just have trouble doing it. So you can start, you know, again. You're trying to map it out. Look, to to the point earlier, it's going to be star package. Rod Hurd, AJ Hampton, and Cam Mitchell are just—it's double black diamond boys. Here we go. Um, it's just going to be—it's going to be tough. You're going to be running with dudes all day, um, and it's just—you know—best of luck. Let's do it. But you can—you don't have to work too hard. Again, don't get blinded with this sixth rushing in the nation thing the team that showed up against Rutgers last week and stopped that run can stop this run. And if Michigan, again, in this, we're looking ahead to Michigan state thing, just decides they're going to slam it into the line 45 times. You start to see a path where this game can be a lot closer than what the line is saying that it's going to be.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the upshot for Northwestern here is you got to drag this game into the bud. Right. Uh, You, you've, gotta keep it close and and hope that you get uh, a shot at the end to win it right um because like let's say northwestern goes up 21 nothing or something inconceivable like that like like michigan's gonna start throwing to those wide receivers and we're gonna have some some potential problems we also might get some interceptions i don't know we'll see what happens but i think like the one thing i'll, I'll i want to i want to emphasize john you said if the team that that played against Rutgers does that against michigan we have a shot i think we need to be better uh than we were against ruckers i think you know yes Michigan has struggled to run the ball in conference um, however they've also played two of the best rush defenses uh, in the conference uh, in in uh, Wisconsin and um, Nebraska and Nebraska and so I like whereas whereas Rutgers has has gotten uh, Michigan State and Ohio State you know no, nothing to shake a stick at certainly but um, I, I just i think the the michigan rutgers game was michigan's worst game of the of the six they've played i think the northwestern rutgers game was the best game of the six that we've played if northwestern can build off of that and springboard off of that and get even better and be cleaner and and just as physical and execute as well like absolutely we have a shot in this game if northwestern steps back in some ways we're in trouble
0: For sure. And I think it's funny because you, again, to take it back to where we started, where we were talking about X and O's with Michigan. I mean, real talk, Michigan's played three Big Ten games, and two of them were whisker close. (laughs) Um, And one of those was against Rutgers. And it's so it's important to realize, too, because, again, I watched this Rutgers tape super deep. 2013 does not capture how close this game was. Rutgers missed a 29-yard field goal in the fourth quarter that would have made it 20-16, then got the ball back, drove down to the Michigan 40, had a fourth and two, and didn't convert. That's how close this game was. And then Rutgers got the ball back again, and then they fumbled, and that was pretty much the end of the game. And I guess it's when I watched the that tape what I expected to see was a Michigan team that was just playing sloppy stupid football looking ahead to what they figured was going to be a titanic matchup with Wisconsin and instead what I saw was Rutgers controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball and Rutgers was just grinding three and four yards a carry again and again and again and controlling the clock and moving the ball slowly, and then with Michigan would get it back and throw the ball into and like run the ball into the line, and Rutgers would stone them, and then Rutgers would get the ball back. The main difference in the Wisconsin game, aside from Wisconsin's offense, I mean, again, Wisconsin's offense is so far down the well. But the is Michigan's receivers just played out of their flipping minds in that game, and you know what? These guys will do that because they're just awesome, and. Wisconsin's corners and safeties are not bad. Some of them are quite good. And Michigan's receivers took them to town. And that was the difference. That's the main difference in the game It was just long, long receptions. So Um, let's,
1: let's talk about this Michigan defense. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, how, how do we stop him?
0: So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they try to deploy them, deploy him again. I think I was, really expecting when I watched a lot of this Big Ten tape to see Michigan's defense just wreaking havoc and it's just it's not really there again keep in mind Rutgers offense has been kind of anemic in general and they just kind of did their Rutgers thing against Michigan and slowly moved the ball and kind of were the turtle against the hair kind of moving the ball down the field Wisconsin you can just throw it out and Nebraska you know Martinez did Martinez things, and for good and for bad, as is the Nebraska way. And you know, Nebraska kind of moved it on them. But I would say this: I mean, again, right? Hutchinson's a real task for sure. And I'd say, you know, if they decide to match him up opposite Ethan Whitaker like that's the again the double black diamond slope for Whitaker And and against Nebraska, the tackles had a little bit of a rough day. That hasn't really been the story of the whole season, though. It's been the interior that's had the biggest problems, um, and again, those problems are pretty far in the rearview mirror right now. So Hutchinson is a big deal, but I,
1: I
2: just to interject. I I think that the solution here is something that Jake likes to do, and that is multiple tight ends. And I think if you look at yes, Nebraska, yes, Rutgers spent a lot of that game grinding out three and four yards up the gut when they had success with larger. Uh, larger plays it was generally getting to the outside quickly like like unlike against Northwestern when they were unable to get to the boundary um they were able to get to the boundary against against Michigan and whether that's because Michigan's linebackers are similarly similarly young and inexperienced or um or just their line was having such success that Michigan had to had to commit more resources inside I don't know I don't know I couldn't quite discern that from what I watched but the other way that Rutgers had success was hitting the tight ends off play action. And that's Bajakian's bread and butter. And I think if you're going to control a guy like Hutchinson, you got to double him or make it like it, it's going it, to, it means communication, uh, especially on the right side of the line has got to be excellent. Who's got him. How are we going to bracket him? You Like you cannot let that guy get a free run at Holinski And uh, cause if, if he does bad things are going to happen. So but, I, but but again, this is Bajakian's sweet spot, and I think it's the way to go.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing that I would bring up, I mean, again, it's like Hutchinson is one of those names that a lot of people talk about, and he is a handful. One of the big things to, to me, and, again, it's like talking about Jake, is the second piece of it is Michigan's safeties are awesome, and they use them to maximum effect. Daxton Hill and Brad Hawkins are both really fast, Really talented safeties. And Michigan will bring those guys downhill and bring them on blitzes and pressure you. And that goes to what we were talking about earlier is like if Michigan tries to bring heat with four and they can't do it, they'll immediately go aggressive because their safeties can get in there so fast and they'll just attack. And in those situations, those are those things we talked about where it's like you got to get the ball out of there. Like we need something. Like that flare screen screen that we were talking about. Like the willingness, and again, Michigan's corners, not a lot to shake a stick at. That is not where their bread is buttered. Linebackers named not named Josh Ross, not a lot to shake a stick at. That's not where their bread is buttered. Okay, um, these guys can be attacked. But you got to have things ready for when the safeties come screaming in off the outside. You got to have a dump out. You got to have something ready. You got to have something that works, right? And those are those things where it's like we hope that we continue to see those kind of developments. So, but again, it's like if this team can grind three, four yards a pop, hit some of those short passes, matriculate the ball down the field, and and like Scott said, drag this game into the mud, slow it down. Um, you know that twenty three and a half is gonna is gonna look pretty ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean the what what I I'm I'm struggling to you know confidently say you know going into this
0: I'm expecting to win because I, I'm not.
2: Nor nor am I, honestly.
0: I, I I'm I'm not expecting to win, but I'm again I'm like that that Ruckers win and, and what we saw in the moment in the game, but then the little things and the improvements you're starting to see and, and all these little improvements in different areas. And yeah, this team still has big problems, but you know we talked about it, not unlike the Illinois State game in 2018, the horrificness of that Nebraska game is going to color what everyone in the nation thinks about this Northwestern team the entire rest of the season. And yeah, that's mostly a horrible negative thing, But when you see this line get jacked up to twenty three and a half, that's what everyone's thinking about. They're thinking about that Nebraska game. And it's like, yeah, this team has given up big plays this season and and yeah, Michigan's wide receivers run like the wind. And yeah, it is what it is. But um, again, it's like you see these things and that Michigan's been living whisker close. And that Michigan's number six in the country because they've won some close games and because they played a really soft non-conference schedule and their run attack is so high because of that weak non-conference schedule. And it's just like, there are a lot of things here. And you couple that with Northwestern's, you know, historic ability to find it. Um, you know, that's it's the kind of magic. Again, it's like, this is what being a Northwestern fan is about. It's like, You know, Scuzz said it earlier, ultimately our bread's gonna be buttered in the West, right? With a lot of these really winnable games we see. We don't need this one to go to a bowl, but the team is gonna want this one so bad. And Michigan's this monstrous favorite. They're on the road in what they're gonna think as a top a matchup of two top ten teams, right? That's their hated rival in Michigan State the week after, right? And it's just like how many more tea leaves do you want, right? I mean, and again, it's like, I'm so, not saying we're going to win. I'm just saying this is where you should want to be as a Northwestern fan.
2: It, it is where you want to be as a Northwestern fan, but let me, allow me to play Northwestern fan psychologist for a moment because I think if you try to go into this game focused solely on how we're going to win it, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> like, like, I just, I don't, like uh, and honestly,
0: I don't think, despite all the optimism I'm projecting, I don't think a single listener's thinking that way. Yeah, yes. yeah, like, like, so like,
2: you're making them mad, John. <laughs> but, like, regardless, like, like, what we hope to see in this game is continued progress. Like, what will be really frustrating and galling and demoralizing is if this game looks like the Michigan State game or the Nebraska game. However, if Northwestern can play this game closer to what we saw against Rutgers than what we saw against Michigan State, that is reason for a lot of real optimism when it comes to the hyper-flawed teams in the Big Ten West that we still have yet to face, right? Exactly. And so that's what I'm looking for going into this weekend. I fully expect, I mean, this is in the big house. It's not a place Northwestern has won very often. It is going to be, you know, we're outmatched athletically um, in a lot of different ways, that doesn't mean I don't think our our guys can hang with Michigan or have the the like the potential path to beat Michigan is hundred percent there. It's it, but it's a small percentage of of the of the potential outcomes. And if we continue to see progress, clean play, um, you know, not like if if we can't you know hold them to two and a half yards per carry, if they get three and a half or four and a half, like fine, like just don't give up eight. And I'll right. feel like, like reasonable about the world coming out of this game. And then, yeah, like there's always that little engine that could element to, to, to this Northwestern football team. And like, what if, right. So, um, I think enjoy this game for what it is. And if there's a ride to be had, like, hell yeah, b- bomb that black diamond, let's go. Um, <laughs> but to keep yourself sane, be looking for the progress and looking for, um, building on what we saw last week that was so encouraging versus a a you know collapse into into pre bi-week times
0: exactly i think you know it's you could frame it this way right a week from saturday scuzz you're going to be in town when at two thirty p.m we take on the minnesota golden gophers at at ryan field Um, all three of us will be there under the red pirate flag and when we're there we want to be feeling really good about our chances to beat Minnesota in that game. And this game will do a lot toward, you know, toward guiding that. So yeah, let's see that continued growth. Let's see that growth against um, a really good team. And again, it's like, do, you know, do, do I need to pick your brain hard to think of times when Northwestern's beaten really highly ranked Michigan Wolverine teams? I don't think I do. So Let's just think, right? Like the 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 glory of possibility, right? Let's let's put aside for a moment all of the negativity that has taken up so much of this season so far and think about the greatness of being a Northwestern fan, right? And hold on to that and hold on to what could be this weekend and just let's take that into this game and let's see what happens.
1: So, let's quickly just Whip around what happened in the conference? Uh, yes, this uh, this past weekend. Let's um, let's go up that ladder. Yeah. So Iowa has won, got to number two in the country by t- turning the ball over, getting short fields, uh, or turning the other teams over, getting short fields, and playing amazing defense. Purdue did not turn the ball over. Iowa did we've said it for
2: five weeks if you don't give Iowa the ball they will struggle to score and Purdue dominated them in this game
0: as a result it is so it's so wild to not just about Iowa but Purdue has two losses uh they lost to Notre Dame they lost to Minnesota the week before they beat this Iowa team they beat Oregon State by 9. They beat uh, Illinois. A surprisingly good Oregon State. I mean that that That's that train is looking better and better. That's true. They beat Illinois 13-9, okay? I I bring all this up because Purdue's resume coming into the the Iowa game was by no means sterling. I bring this up because when you watch Purdue play, it's kind of unclear what they don't do well when they're clicking they can throw the ball all over the field and their d is great their pass rush is one of the best pass rushes in the big 10 Loftus is a freaking monster he annihilated iowa in well, that game uh, i i
2: i will chime in there's two things that they don't do well one is running the ball since right or horvath right because horvath they've, is out right really struggled to do that and then the other thing is that once Jack Plummer went down with injury and was no longer really available, right, and they had to stick with Aiden O'Connell. Aiden O'Connell he'll, has five he'll throw a pick, he yeah. has five picks for the six TDs that he's thrown. And I think the key is that in this game, they played three quarterbacks O'Connell, Plummer, and Austin Burton all played.
0: Right. Now, we all know Austin Burton should be playing 100% of the snaps because we'll ride for a burden all day. But, um, but you're right. And I think. It's, it's just, you combine Purdue's defensive line, which again, with Karloftis, that dude's, I mean, he's going to start on Sundays for like 10 years. So it's like, we're going to be talking about him in the live draft, in our live draft pod. Absolutely. For sure. I mean, absolute monster. And Iowa's offense isn't good. And Purdue just kind of manhandled them, you know, defensively against Iowa's offense. And then. David Bell was just uncoverable. 11 catches, 240 yards, and a touchdown. Yep. I mean, and that's the thing. And it's like, if O'Connell's hitting his targets, or whoever's out there is hitting their targets, and Purdue is just like, we're not going to run, we're just going to throw on every single down. Again, kind of unclear what they don't do well. So that's the negative, because uh, we, we play them. <laughs> Well, this but. is
2: something that's really important because – and we've talked about this many times before, especially when we preview Purdue or, or, or even when we played them in 2019 especially, I think, is that uh, Jeff Brohm, the coach of Purdue, offensive genius, one of the things he's really phenomenal at is scheming wide receivers open. Everybody knows that Iowa's defense is great and they have incredible defensive backs. But when you're, when you're an offensive genius and you use scheme to get a guy like David Bell open where you can hit him with the ball – that's how he can rack up 11 catches for 240 yards against such a good defense as Iowa.
0: Right. Exactly. And it's like the, the there's that piece of it. And then it's like, on one hand, you're like, yeah, like like Bell's able to do that. Purdue's able to do that. But it's like, yeah, but on the flip side, like, look what happens to Iowa when they're not like getting all the breaks. And it's like, this is, this is the thing. I mean, Sam, go ahead. I mean, you can go through the rest of the schedule, but I mean, the rest of the, the week's games. Yeah, I mean,
1: like the rest of the week, it, you know, Michigan State beat, beat Indiana 20 to 15. Um, you know, that line was was much smaller than I think any of us thought it would be and, you know, Michigan State you know, didn't blow the doors off of Indiana the way I think we kind of thought they would. Um, you know, Kenneth Walker 23 carries 84 yards, no touchdowns.
2: Indiana's a really good run D uh, kind of reemerged.
0: Right, and that's the thing. It's unfortunately, you know, Penix is out at this point, which is just the thing, and <clears throat> Tuttle did everything he could, but Minnesota, we talked about it like a lot of you. I mean, Indiana, we talked about it. A lot of you probably aren't aware. In terms of points scored in Big Ten football games this season, Indiana's the worst in the conference, and it's not even close. They're scoring seven points a game in Big Ten football games right now, and it's just like... They're just a a total mess, but at least their defense showed up in this game and you hope it continues to do so they can take something out of this season. Minnesota beats Nebraska 30 to 23, man. What
2: a, what a weird game. Nebraska, I think was inside of Minnesota's 10, three separate times and didn't score. And like what stands out to me in this game is not that Nebraska lost because this is what Nebraska does. What stands out to me is like, we've thought Minnesota was left for dead like three different times now this season. And they're, they're not like, like, like somehow they keep surviving.
0: Yeah. I think so. <clears throat> Part of it is Minnesota may be on what their third string running back at this yep. point. Yep. Bryce they're Williams off-
1: went 17 for 127 and <clears throat> a touchdown.
0: Their offensive line is still just road graders Yeah, that's all, true. all the way across. And that's where their bread is buttered is they want to grind you on the ground and they're good at it. And that's, that's credit to them. And that's, what's keeping them afloat right now. But again, it's like Minnesota's no peach either. <clears throat> it's crazy. Nebraska's already played eight games, and they still have Ohio State and Iowa on their schedule. And and, and
2: they're one and four in conference.
0: Right. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like that. Right. Exactly. Is like the most likely scenario for Nebraska right now is five and seven, and that's if they beat Purdue. So I mean, like. They still have Purdue, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa on the schedule. And again, it's like, that'll be the thing. Like, let that happen. Let them be our Illinois State. We're at the end of the season. Everyone's like, how the hell did that game happen? That's what we want to be. So let, let's see Nebraska continue to do their part.
1: Uh, speaking of running the running the ball, Wisconsin beats Army 20-14. to 14.
2: Barely. Barely. I mean,
0: Good God. I mean, that game was close, like pretty much the entire way. <clears throat> so I think it was, it was, what was it? So the final was 2013, 2014, but, I think it, 2014, but it was, I believe 13, seven, seven when army fumbled at their own one yard line and Wisconsin had a one yard touchdown drive. That, that got them to their 20 points. So, again, that is where Wisconsin's offense is living right now, just so everyone knows.
1: So, this upcoming weekend, um, you know, besides our game against Michigan, uh, which is going to be on, on Big Daddy Fox, at uh, that's the Fox noon game. You know, you're watching you know, Major League Baseball or, you know, whatever, and you're seeing America's Game of the Week. Wait, do we have, Wait, Michigan.
0: do we have Gus?
1: Yeah, I we have Gus. We have. Oh Gus. my God, we
0: have someone.
2: Like, wow, I, I, I laughed out loud yesterday because whatever the NFL game was, they they dropped a, a, a Northwestern Michigan commercial in it, and it was you know like Northwestern Michigan, and then they flashed up Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum in like Michigan colors, and then they flashed up a giant NW. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! The res- you can't even make I, this I, shit up. I mean, come on! Oh is
0: this? Would you like to live anywhere else? Again, I'm like, run that commercial until it pushes that line bring, to forty. Bring I me can't that. Get enough.
2: Bring me that dirty, dirty disrespect. This is it's. Oh uh, man! Um, and yeah, you're right, John. Like Gus, the Gus factor uh, of, of you know, crazy shit happens when Gus
1: is on the call. So who knows? Uh, so. Also at eleven o'clock central, Illinois at Penn State. Penn State also a twenty-three and a half point favorite over the Fighting Illini. Seems uh, legit. Seems legit. <laughs> okay, explain this to me. Wisconsin at Purdue. Line Wisconsin by three. Ah, L- la- laundry.
2: Maybe maybe like a letdown, but that's crazy. I mean,
0: again, Wisconsin's D <clears throat> is sweet. It is Michigan's wide receivers really showed out though against them, and they may have trouble containing Bell. But I mean, Wisconsin's D is awesome. If they rattle O'Connell, they get a couple of picks. But they're, they're I mean, a three-point road favorite. If if Graham Mertz like if if Wisconsin tries to throw George Karloftis will personally intercept Graham Mertz twice <laughs> in this game. God,
2: Mertz has wow two touchdowns, seven interceptions. And I know some of that is just the total mental like shitstorm that was the end of the uh of the Notre Dame game, but in a game that they were like in a tight contest with Army, he attempted 15 passes, 53% completion, 112 yards. Um he's just really struggling this year and I don't understand how, I mean, like, so coming off that IO win, like you expect Purdue to have a bit of a, a of a hangover and a letdown. Um, now they're going to be at home, but like we've seen good receivers do stuff against Wisconsin. The idea that David Bell is going to go away and Wisconsin is just going to shut down Purdue's offense is kind of cuckoo to me. And then on the other side of the ball, what Purdue's defense is really good at is stopping the run to all the points you've been making, John. This is a terrible matchup for Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, that Wisconsin by three line is baffling to me. Uh, Low over over under two, only 40. That makes more sense. Okay. Uh, We got Maryland at Minnesota. Minnesota, a five-point home favorite. That's at uh, 230 on ESPN2. I mean, the way this
2: season is going, if Talia Tungvaloa were to come into Minnesota and just torch them for like 500 yards and Maryland wins going away, I would not be surprised at all. Would would
1: any outcome in this game surprise you? No, no, it would not.
0: Yeah, no, just about anything is possible. <clears throat> Minnesota's third string running back could rush for three hundred. Talia could throw for four fifty. I'd believe anything.
2: Both of those things could happen. I mean, this could be like a fifty-four, fifty-one
1: type game. And then uh, six thirty on ABC. This is the uh, the big you know big national game. Uh, Ohio State at Indiana. Ugh. Ohio State a twenty point favorite here.
0: Indiana would trade everything that's gone for them this season in a second to get this one at home against Ohio State. Um, they've done it before, right? Am I right about that? Or, no, I'm thinking of Purdue. No, no. That was Purdue. Yeah, that was yeah, Purdue. Yeah, Purdue. Last year, of course, Penn x absolutely tore them apart, and they yeah, barely they, lost.
2: They came close, but um, I, this just this feels like your classic Ohio State blowout ironically this is the game every year that indiana takes all of the aerial photos of their campus because it looks like the whole all or stadium is all red exactly um but uh i mean who knows right like crazier things have happened and um god wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great for indiana the problem here i think to me is that indiana's you know run defense finally reemerged against michigan state and was great um we know that they've got good corners but i just
0: Taiwan Ty- Mullen can only cover one of those guys.
2: Exactly. And Ohio State has like three of them. And it's just, I just don't think they can, they can, I think that that Ohio State offense, the only way to beat it, you got to fight fire with fire and they don't have enough
1: on offense without Penix. Nationally, there's not a ton of really exciting games. I mean, there's no, no games that match up top 25 teams.
0: What are the chances Natty gets Navy, Scuzz? What do we think? Any chance triple option screws up. Uh,
2: <laughs> no, they're, they're so good at defending the run. They're so good on, I mean, well, I guess, I guess the strength of their defense is their cornerbacks. Um, and, but Navy's not good this year. That's part of the problem. If it were army, like, <laughs> but, um, I mean, you, you, like everybody was circling that UCF game because UCF is like the best other team maybe in the American or that was like, you know, from the laundry perspective and, uh, I think Cincinnati was up forty-two nothing. I mean, they absolutely massacred them, and I think, I think they're on a mission at this stage. They're gonna have a big game against SMU, um, Thanksgiving weekend before the AAC championship. But uh, they seem really dialed in, just like gobbling up all the disrespect. Because while they're number two in the country, right? Like everybody's talking about how they don't belong, how a two-loss team is gonna get in over them. Yada yada yada. I think they are, they are laser focused.
1: LSU Old Miss um, First game in the Ed Orgeron farewell tour Yeah Maybe a tryout
0: for Lane Kiffin I don't know I was going to say odds Lane Kiffin says something Uncouth about the situation Hi <laughs> <laughs> uh, Clemson
1: at Pitt Pitt's a three point favorite at home <laughs>
0: Oh, that's amazing. Deservedly. I mean, you won't see a worse offense than Clemson. I watched that Syracuse game. <clears throat> Whoa, Nelly. That is just, their offense is a train wreck. Like, it can't be overstated. Uh, one game I,
1: I'm interested in, I'm not going to watch it because it's, a, you know, I, I wouldn't watch it. But I'm interested in this BYU-Washington State game uh, because of the whole Nick Rolovich situation yeah that he was fired today along with five assistants uh for not getting vaccinated that good get him out of there that's fine, but the team that's left behind
0: with like half the coaching staff gone how do you like what do you do here? I know yeah. it's not even just him it's it's a huge portion of the staff i know it's 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 it just sucks. sucks it sucks for the players it's just it's the worst yep But, I mean, let's see them pull something together. That'd be great.
1: Yeah. Um, Other than that, I mean, will anyone go to Bryant-Denny Stadium with some golf balls to throw when (laughs) Tennessee's going in there? Oh,
2: man. I I assume – I mean, because Alabama-Tennessee is like a rivalry game. Um, Technically, I imagine there's going to be a lot of uh, golf-oriented
1: humor. You know, French's mustard getting involved here somehow um anything else jumping out i mean usc notre dame that yeah. does not have nope. any panache this
0: year nope.
2: or oregon us ucla is interesting yeah um, utah you, oregon
1: state that could be but fun I, yeah no
0: Nope. Nope. you know what this weekend's looking for something to talk about <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, let it be us absolutely um anything else to talk about before we get out of here tonight guys uh, this is not about this week,
2: but um, I'm ecstatic to be making my Ryan Field debut in two weeks' time. Uh, I was extra ecstatic to find out that the game's a 2:30 kick, which is my favorite type of kick or my favorite time of kick, um, which means maximum tailgating as far as as far as I'm concerned. And uh, yeah, I'm stoked. So, all y'all who um, anybody who's on the fence, like, come on up to Evanston. You get all three pirates for the price of one. Uh, Come hang out.
1: Yeah, come come see us in the East Lot right by Wildcat Alley. I mean, it's been a really, really good time uh, thus far, and we'd love to see as many people as possible.
0: I just want to say on the end of this pod, I know a ton of you are listening and being like, oh my God, John's so far down the rabbit hole right now. He's sipping the Kool-Aid so hard right now.
2: Swimming in the (laughs) (laughs) Kool-Aid.
0: And I just want to say, you're damn right. <laughs> we didn't get into this. Double down, baby. Love it. I love it. We didn't get into this to be negative Nancys and Debbie Downers. We map things out to you as best as we can. We take you through all the X's and O's. We just did it. But you know what? We are Northwestern fans. And we have belief deep in our hearts, deep in our bones. And I want to believe we can win this game. And there's a path. And it's slim, but I'm finding it, and that's where I'm gonna live. And if we get beat down, we get beat down, but that's where we live, and that's what makes being a Northwestern fan so awesome. So you're damn and, right. I'm amen, the brother. Yeah, you're buddy. damn right. And Hell yeah. Uh, and that's the kind of vibe. That's the kind of vibe that'll be here in two weeks when we're all in the East Lot together. So again, come find us and get you some of that vibe. But until then, let's go get these Wolverines. Well, that is a great place to leave it for tonight. Uh, Head to our website,
1: westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates. Leave us a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Um, It definitely helps out the show quite a bit. Look for us in the east lot of Ryan Field. Even though we are the Westlaw Pirates, we're not changing the name. That has panache. Uh, we'll be flying the red pirate flag because the Westlaw Pirates give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>